Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Peter Joseph, and you're listening to V Radio. Hello, and welcome to this edition of V Radio. Tonight we have a great show lined up um, with the Energy Action Coalition. Uh, I don't really have a lot of updates on V Radio right now, other than to say that we are definitely hurting for donations at the moment. So if you guys can give me a hand with that, you can do that at vradio.org. That's v-radio.org. Um, the red chip in uh, definitely need some help with that in the you know, next few days. Uh, fortunately enough, uh, we did manage to get everything else that we needed secured. But um, now I'm going to go ahead and uh, bring on my guests. Um, first, I'm going to actually you know, I'm just going to ask everyone on time, you know, uh, to go ahead and introduce themselves. Let's start with you know, ladies first. Uh, Carly, you want to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, well, hi, my name is Carly Queen. Um, I'm the Southeast Campus Field Coordinator for National Wildlife Federation. Um, we're one of the partners of Energy Action Coalition. Oh, okay. And um, that, that brings us to Kyle. You want to introduce yourself? Sure. My name's Kyle Gracie. I'm the chair for Sustain Us. We're a U.S. youth advocating for sustainable development. And we're also an Energy Action Coalition member. Excellent. Excellent. All right, well, um, the first thing I always ask guests when I bring them on is, you know, since you guys are obviously out-of-the-box thinkers, I'll, I'll start with Carly again. What, what, at what point in your life did you decide to get involved in this kind of activism? You know, like, was there any kind of turning point or, you know, were you raised into it? Or just basically what, what got you started? Um, well, you know, I would say actually I was raised into it and there was kind of this turning point, both. Um, I grew up in western North Carolina in a really small town outside of Asheville, um, really close to the Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Um, so I grew up, uh, actually I grew up on a farm, on a horse farm there, and so pretty much just this ideal upbringing in um, one of the most beautiful parts of the world as far as I'm concerned. So I think, you know, that really instilled in me this kind of um, passion for nature and just for being in the outdoors. Um, but then... Uh, you know, I guess after I graduated from high school, I came to Atlanta, and I went to Georgia Tech to study mechanical engineering. Um, and, you know, I guess at the time, I, I really wanted to work for, like, one of the big automotive companies, um, which sounds bad, I know, and really it kind of is. Um, well, but <laughs> basically, I mean, I really I kind of had this vision of creating one of the most amazing, like, fun to drive, but also really ecologically friendly car. Um, so I actually, when I was younger, um, got an internship with General Motors, and I did that for a summer. And I guess I just really felt out of place, um, and, and like, I couldn't really be myself there. And so I just, I realized it wasn't for me at that point. Um, and when I came back to Atlanta, I actually took some time off from school so that I could work full-time and get residency here in Georgia. Um, and at that time, I, I got a full-time job as a canvasser. Uh, so the first um, organization I canvassed for was Sierra Club. And then I worked for a summer um, for Environment Georgia and Georgia Perg. And we led um, the Atlanta office to break the all-time record for funds raised in the summer um, working on our uh, Clean Rivers campaign, and I don't know. So that really, I think, was the turning point for me. And since then, I've just been full throttle ahead um, into environmentalism and um, and clean energy and, and things like that. So. 
power back into our own hands and taking control of our future. Kyle, to build on that, I mean, so, so Energy Action is this amazing coalition of more than 50 youth-run or youth-focused organizations uh, all over the United States and, and into Canada. And so we are united in so the pursuit of young people advancing um, clean energy and social justice policies in our area and in our time and really sort of showing that young people can be the leaders in doing that. This can be our decade to create those changes and that, you know, we have the, the ability and the size and the interest of the young generations to make that happen. So it's just an incredible, you know, we bring such a diverse group of skills, like Carly said. I mean, Sustain Us works on the international and policy levels mostly. NWF is an amazing wildlife and green jobs focus. And then we're only the two of us just representing a small slice of the really cool and really diverse young people from all across the country and all across the sort of North America who are doing this cool work. So, you know, we just, we come together and we show that, that young people have an amazing power to, to change things. That's actually, yeah, that is great. And I think that um, particularly people in the movement that I'm involved in would be interested in, you know, the various groups that you're talking about because a lot of them want to get out and do stuff. And um, I think that it's awesome that you guys have put together essentially what it is, a coalition of these various groups. Um, I wasn't quite sure exactly how that worked until you just explained it. But basically you're talking about kind of like a almost a union of, um, all different kinds of activism. I mean, is there is there one kind of unifying body? I mean, is there like a specific mission statement perhaps that people have to, you know, go along with to be included or? I, I'm not going to recite necessarily a mission statement, but um, <laughs> we kind of tag ourselves um, kind of like the hub of the youth climate movement in a lot of senses. Okay. But Personally, I really think that it's a, a lot greater than that, a lot bigger than, than even um, just the climate issue. Uh, we really touch on everything from social equality to, um, you know, really dealing with clean energy, dirty energy, um, and, and that has so many other implications, including climate change, but also in addition to climate change. Exactly right. I mean, we really are trying to be sort of the center of organizing for, for clean energy, for social justice, for, for reducing climate change. I mean, all of those issues, I think, are what we're involved in. And again, we just bring so many different groups. We have social justice organizations, environmental groups, sustainable development groups like mine, uh, economic empowerment groups, and, and really it's trying to create sort of that, that clean future that we're all looking for where everyone has a, a stake in sort of prosperity and, and nobody's sort of suffering from the the bad pollution and, and dirty energy and some unjust choices that we're faced with today. It's actually, it's interesting that you say it that way too, is that because in some cases you're kind of given the impression that you don't really have any choices. Um, though you said unjust choices, uh, you know, it's like you're kind of given a choice between bad or bad or worse. And, <laughs> you know, it's like I, I remember just as a consumer, for example, I try to avoid certain products and then you find that, you know, or perhaps, you know, avoid certain stores with certain policies and the way that they, they get their products like Walmart. And then, you know, of course, to compete with Walmart, now the other department stores are doing the same thing. So it's, it is kind of tough. You're not, you know, and it, I think that activism, like the work that you're doing, is essential to giving people awareness to the fact that there's even a problem in the first place. And I think it's awesome, for example, that you're 
you're concentrating on the youth because that really is where the, the real changes can be made. I mean, when you think about the major differences in the way that the uh, United States, for example, conducts itself now, you know, based on uh, the effect that, you know, the, the 60s had and, and those kinds of college kids, you know, when they grew up and then they got into positions of state, um, and, I mean, actually, that's an interesting question. I mean, are you, are you involved in youth a lot? Do you guys have any veterans in the activism world helping you, too? Well, so we're, I mean, we're run exclusively by, you know, youth-run youth or youth-focused organizations. So in that sense, we, we create and empower ourselves, and then we're, and we're strengthened so much by our youth memberships. I mean, we are a youth organization and a youth coalition, so there's no, like, adults, if you want to think about it that way, sort of running us or telling us what to do. We exercise our own power out in the world. But, obviously, we're part of a much bigger movement that is working for these clean energy and social justice and climate issues that are out there. And so we have lots of, you know, partnerships and we have lots of other people in the world who are pushing for the exact same kind of things that we are, and we're always happy to work with groups who, you know, are looking for the same kind of clean energy and, and social justice policies that we are. That's, yeah, that's, I guess that's kind of what I meant by the, the whole mission statement thing, as I was just wondering if there was a specific criteria or whatever that you were looking for, but, um, I mean, it's, you know, so we have National Wildlife for, um, you know, Federation, and, and what was it that you did again, I apologize? Sustain us? Sustain us, right. And that was a group of just about working on sustainability technologies. Was that correct? Or just the awareness not, not of just, it? Not, not just technologies. Uh, we also focus on policies and, and local action solutions. Right. So. Okay, excellent. Well, that's, you know, that, I think I've heard about that group as well individually. That's, you know, it's like basically when I had heard about the Energy Action Coalition, I looked that up, and I guess I probably should have studied it a little closer, but I guess it's a good thing we're learning about it on this show. But it's, I think it's great what you're doing. And I, I have to ask, I mean, um, you know, uh, do you guys have any involvement with any, for, ex for example, like uh, the Green Party? Do you, know, like, you have kids who are involved in that who end up getting involved in this as well? Do they have any affiliation with what you're doing? Well, um, the Energy Action Coalition is a 501c3. Uh, so we don't have necessarily any direct political ties, or, um, but I think we definitely work in collaboration, well, we're working for the same goals, and I think a lot of times our work complements that of uh, some of our C4 um, uh, counterparts. That's <laughs> C4. Right. Yeah. Did, did you have a comment for that too, Kyle? Yeah, I mean, we have people who come from a wide range of sort of political beliefs or, or you know, opinions about other parts of policy, I think. You know, we we don't work directly on any particular political party or any particular campaign. We're we're issue focused, and our issues are clean energy, stopping climate change, making sure that social justice is embedded in all of that work. That's what we're about, and we welcome any young person who is passionate about that and wants to work with us on that. You know, regardless of what their underlying political beliefs are. Well, that's excellent. Um, I guess. Uh you know, my next question then would be, you know, what's the, the current new project that's going on for both of your individual groups? Is there anything specific or exciting going on that you want to tell the listeners about? I'll start with you, Kyle. Sure. So on the Sustain Us side, you know, we're really focused right now on gearing up for the climate change negotiations that are going to happen in the, through the United Nations 
in Mexico in December. And we've really spent a lot of our time building up youth power and youth involvement in those negotiations throughout the year. So last year we created what sort of the first officially recognized group of youth from more than 100 countries um, with more than 1,500 members at the negotiations that happened in Copenhagen um, and really showed how strong the youth voice is in those negotiations. Um, it's just such a diversity of members. We had more than uh, 200 U.S. youth participating in those in those talks and really not just being there to like watch, but actually engage in it, changing policies, pushing our elected officials, pushing our leaders in the U.S., and also showing that we're being leaders in it by working locally in the U.S., working in states and, and, uh, and local areas all throughout our country, and then also that we're united with all of these other amazing young people around the world who are doing exactly the same thing, and often in places where they have much less money than we do and are facing much more severe climate impacts, much more severe, you know, social justice and social access issues, even than, than we are. So it's just really amazing to, to see that building up of that youth voice around the world. And so that's what we're really, really focusing on is strengthening that and making sure that we can then take those voices and also bring them back home and have just as strong of a presence in the U.S. Now, before I, I get to Carly on that, um, if somebody wants to get involved, uh, where should they go? You know, do you have a website URL you would like to give out? Uh, sure. So for us, it's sustainus.org, so S-U-S-T-A-I-N-U-S.org, and then Carly can talk about NWF, and then together we can really talk about what we can also be doing through the Energy Action Coalition. Excellent. All right. Well, go ahead, Carly. You want to talk about what's big in your particular group at the moment? Yeah, sure. Um, so I work in the Campus Ecology Program of National Wildlife Federation, um, and my region, like I mentioned, is the southeast. Um, right now, we've got about, I guess, three different areas where we're really focusing. Um, the first of these, and this is most related to Energy Action Coalition, is kind of student um, leadership development is, is really where we're trying to go with this. And uh, so, you know, that really entails um, a lot of different things. But uh, for one, we're gearing up for the Power Vote campaign, which will be run this fall. Um, this is a nonpartisan electoral campaign that focuses on bringing clean energy and environmental justice and climate change to the forefront of the midterm elections. Um, so we're working, we're going to have a training in just a couple weeks up in Chicago um, to prepare student leaders to run this campaign on their campus. Um, the campaign really, you know, people take a pledge um, to vote and to vote for clean energy um, and for environmental justice and, and you know, a better future. <laughs> right. And um, then from that pledge, you know, the student leaders really have an opportunity and work very hard to get them more involved, get them involved locally in the campaign, make sure that they get out to vote on November 2nd, um, and really raising this issue um, to the top of, of young people's radar. And then, um, you know, beyond that, offering opportunities for students to really hone their skills and, and gain some experience um, to help them with their future. We also are working um, more broadly, I guess, on um, campus sustainability. So campus ecology does this, um, well, in two main ways right now. One is uh, through outreach to campuses and also building networks um, by hosting gatherings and educational events. Um, and, and setting up the infrastructure for the network to really help campuses share best practices about sustainability and really learn from each other and work together. 
The other way, and this is our newest initiative, is actually um, we're working with community colleges in select parts of the country to help them develop green workforce training programs, um, update their curriculum to include sustainability in every area, um, and also develop pathways out of poverty and into these green careers. Um, and, and I think our focus with that is even beyond just what we can do, but also how um, these community colleges can not only model sustainability, but actually drive creation of, of green jobs in their area. Um, so that's mostly what we're doing with National Wildlife Federation. Um, obviously, we've been very involved in the Gulf oil response, um, well, <laughs> to the extent that BP will allow, I guess. Um, so right now, we're working to form, um, well, we are forming and creating to, uh, and growing these groups of um, basically their surveillance volunteers. So there's thousands, tens of thousands, of hundreds of thousands of uh, miles of coast and you know, definitely not nearly the personnel or the staff um, needed to really monitor those areas. So we're training Gulf residents to be volunteers to go out regularly and survey the area, check for oiled wildlife, um, check for oil making um, or touching land, and, and notifying the proper authorities so that they can really facilitate um, you know, the recovery process. Um, and you know we're really looking to expand that work. I mean, it's going to be an ongoing cleanup effort. And I mean, <laughs> you know, if they don't do a better job than Exxon did back in the day, then this isn't going to go away anytime soon. So. Yeah, I have to say, um, I mean, on the positive side of what you were talking about, I was actually very excited to hear that my local college is now offering, uh, you know, um, education in alternative energy is something that you can actually, I guess, major in now if you want. Um, Yep. And I'm looking forward to you know seeing where that where that direction goes. Um, I know in the Michigan economy, the people have proposed because Michigan's economy was totally based on the auto industry, and obviously the auto industry is falling apart. Um, and uh, you know maybe we could change some of these factories into solar panel manufacturing and things of that nature. But um, you know, and as far as the the BP oil spill thing, it's you know it's I think <laughs> I, I honestly I should have covered it closer than I did, but I, I just I, I looked at that from the outside and just kind of rolled my eyes and it's a terrible thing and I really wish that it wouldn't happen. I just it's but it's overall I, I think that it's just another symptom of our system. Um and I think we're just gonna look into things you know it's it's still absurd to me that we're even trying to go through all this effort to get oil in the first place when there were better solutions, but you know, it's it's far more profitable to be jerking around with fossil fuels than it is to look into something that's you know, much cheaper and cleaner and, you know, well, free if you know how to cultivate it. So, um, you know. But yeah, I mean, it's really mind-blowing. Um, and and the crazy thing is that people still want to keep doing it, you know. And it's like, so what's it going to take, just another disaster? Or is, you know, I mean, can nothing shift this uh, culture towards what is the most abundant source of energy? I mean, there's so much free energy out there that we're not even touching, and and we completely wreck some of our most pristine. Well, I don't know if I can even say pristine, but important uh, wetlands in this country and ecosystem. I mean, it's it's just. I mean, I can't even really well, think I, about it straight. I, I think they're inclined that they're going to ignore it and sell it in some way, hindering their lifestyles. That's kind of what the profit motive does to somebody. 
you get to a point where you believe that, you know, the, the pursuit of profit is more important than anything, and you just kind of always assume that somehow the same money that you're, you know, ruining the planet while getting will help you fix your problems in the future. I just, you know, but um, I'm going to go ahead and let Kyle pipe in on that. I, I heard you getting ready to talk. Yeah, well, I just, the problem is that a lot of people don't even see that it's, that the dirty energy choices are actually more expensive for us than clean energy solutions. Clean energy production, clean energy jobs, they, they're bigger in number than the fossil fuel jobs. I mean, you can generate more jobs for people by producing clean energy and investing in clean energy solutions. I mean, this is well, well documented by very smart people. So more people get jobs out of investments in clean energy than they do fossil fuels, plus the cost of things like climate change and giant oil spills really add up to the economy. They add up in people's wallets. They add up when people lose their jobs, like you're seeing in the Gulf right now. I mean, this is just bad on just an economic sense, let alone how unequally some people are making out on these fossil fuel deals and uh, the rest of us are suffering, the impacts on climate change on, on people and every other form of life that we're sharing with, you know, just overall, the, the costs are just so much higher. It just doesn't make sense. And people really need to understand that, that we actually stand to gain so much by investing in clean energy solutions. We gain by having cleaner air and cleaner water. We gain by having more jobs and better jobs. We gain by not endangering, you know, the future of young people like us who are going to have to deal with these consequences of really deadly and disastrous climate change long into the future if we don't start changing course now. You know, something like three, almost 300,000 people already die per year in the world from climate change impacts alone, let alone, you know, all the other things like spreading diseases, giant oil spills, you know, this stuff is expensive. And we have solutions right now that we can do that save lives, that improve people's quality of life, and that protect the environment. It just doesn't make sense in, for anything to not do them. Well, while it's certainly expensive, I guess the question at the end of the day is who do they think is going to be paying for it? I mean, it's in this instance in particular, I mean, uh, I mean, what is going to happen, for example, what do you predict is going to happen with BP? Are they going to be made to clean up this spill? Are they going to be asked to pick up the bill on that? You know, it's, we're looking at, I've been told it's just going to be astronomical what's, they're going to, what's going to have to be done to clean this up. And, I mean, is anybody putting pressure on them? I guess that's, you know, I, I imagine you guys know a lot more about that than I do because, as I said, I... I was so frustrated by it when I heard about it. I didn't study it as well as I should have. But what's the well, status on that? You know, I mean, I, there's definitely pressure from many different um, stakeholders. I mean, people obviously are up in arms. The government's putting pressure on them. But, um, you know, I really, I'm not sure if there's even a way that they possibly could really 100% clean this up. I mean, you know, I've seen images um, of, of of uh, workers doing the cleanup on the beaches. And, you know, I mean, they're picking up and shoveling um, tar that they find on the surface, but so much of these dispersants and these chemicals and, and this oil is sinking down into the beach. Um, they're not, you know, they're not going to get to that. And um, the impacts that it's going to have on wildlife are, I mean, going to be just astronomical. And really the Gulf economy and the people there may never recover. You know, it's it's really hard to say at this point. And so I hope that that's not the case, but um, it, with the technology we have and the efforts that are currently being put into the cleanup, I don't see it being cleaned up completely, no. 
we're not even looking at a cleanup. We're looking at a problem that's probably never going to go away. It's like sewing up a cut, but there's still going to be a scar. It, um, did you have anything to add to that, Kyle? It, yeah, I mean, it's it's damage control. Even if even if they manage to clean it all up, which I, I totally agree with Carly, some of it is just it's so tricky to get to some of that pollution, that oil. The, they're never going to be able to pay for all of the costs that other people have had to bear, that wildlife have had to bear on this. It, it's astronomical, and they'll never they'll never be able to or or agree to, or we'll never be able to figure out just how expensive it was for everyone. To, to have to deal with this. The best cleanup solution is prevention. The best cleanup solution is making things like this don't happen again. It goes way beyond just reforming oil safety regulations. It goes toward re changing the structure of the economy being based on clean energy. And then, you know, oil, like solar panels don't catch on fire and burn in the middle of the ocean. Wind turbines, <laughs> even out in the sea, yeah. you know, they don't fall down and, you know, and trap people underground like you do, you know, when you're, if you're dealing with coal mining. Like, yeah. these kinds of problems don't happen at the level that you see them at with dirty energy. And so if we just don't have to deal with these kind of bad policies and bad energy choices, then we don't have to worry about these kind of disasters happening again. And that's really where we need to focus our effort once, you know, even as we deal with the shock of the oil spill and we work to recover from it, you know, we also have to work to make sure it never happens again. Yeah, that's, you know, and I, I honestly think that, you know, you, you kind of laid it out. I was actually thinking the same thing and was going to add it before you said it, was that, you know, these alternative energy solutions, in many cases, the solution to the oil spill problem is that you could just switch to something that doesn't have these dangers in the first place, you know, and I mean, we, we talk about, you know, uh, solar and air, you know, I meaning you know, wind power, of course, and, you know, in the Zeitgeist movement, we also talk about geothermal energy, um, which is huge potentials that are not being explored, wave power. Um, I had somebody from Verdant Power recently, a company that specializes in tidal power on my show, you know, it's just there's energy everywhere on the earth that's just forever reoccurring, and it's part of the natural process. It isn't necessary for us to do something unnatural, like pull out large quantities of, you know, essentially dead dinosaurs or whatever you want to call oil, um, you know, and risk all of this in the first place. It's certainly not necessary for us to be fighting each other over it. And that's why, you know, Jacques Fresco, the Venus Project, talks about this. He compares, you know, the amount of effort we put into the Manhattan Project. Uh, you know, if we were to put that kind of effort into something like this, you know, it's, I, but the problem I think is, is that people don't, when they, when they see situations like this, they don't recognize that it is a threat, you know, that is very much on par, you know, in reality, and, and in my opinion, far worse in the end than, you know, oh, we need to get the bomb before the Russians do, so let's get to work on that, the evil red scare. You know, now we're talking about something that on a global scale could kill everybody. You know, it's, it, it astonishes me that people, you know, I just, I think that, there's so much money to be made in it at this time, and that you know I, I, I know I keep coming back to the profit motive, but it's it's hard to educate people about. It. I mean, it's like you know the the global warming debate, which is so frustrating for me as an activist because I've got friends on both sides of it. You know, it's it's just so silly to me that we're even fighting over that. If that seems like something that we should just be able to get to the bottom of, and then stick to it. But the fact that there are people who would argue about it, you know, they, in the way that they do, it, it really, 
it really scares me the way that they'll divide themselves up over it. I've seen activists they'll get they'll get into fights over whether or not global warming is real, and that's and the, the and that's another thing we talk about a lot in the you know in the Venus Project is that you know it, the reason that we're having debates about something like that is because people are making money on that issue in one fashion or another. Whether it's because they you know they have bad you know they have basically they have bad pollution policies and they want to be able to continue to get away with it. It's it's so hard to trust anybody in the system that we have, wherein you know the bottom line is more important than anything. Um, you know, with, with a you know very selfish culture overall, and you know a culture that's totally willing to just push their problems on to the next generation and the next generation, and they they don't think about the here and now. Um, you know, and more to the point, they don't think about the future and what they have to do now to fix it. Things like the Earth and the climate you know, are the kinds of things that get affected over a large quantity of time. And then if you want to fix them, it takes an equally large quantity of time, not necessarily equal, but a large quantity of time. And that's why it requires immediate action. I just, and it comes down to that is like what Carly said earlier. I don't know that a lot of these people will recognize it until it's on their own front door, until it's, inter you know, until they want to go out on their yacht and have a nice dinner party with all of their rich friends. <laughs> no offense to people who are rich or don't do this, mind you. Um, you know, and then they find themselves, you know, on an oil spill. Oh, drat. I'm going to have to cancel my hors d'oeuvres and everything. You know, call the caterer. What is this oil spill problem? You know, <laughs> it's just, I think it's going to come down to something like that. I mean, I hate to be silly about it, but until it interferes with their lives particularly, I don't, I don't know that a lot of these people really care. That's the culture that we have. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely true. And, you know, I think a huge part of it also is, is education because um, there are a lot of people that are being affected very, um, like right now, who just don't necessarily realize it. I mean, you don't know what you're breathing in every day or what you're drinking in your water. Um, you know, and I mean, our, our cancer rates here in the United States are going through the roof. And I can't think of many other explanations besides, you know, the ridiculous number of chemicals and really untested things that we expose ourselves to every day and, and gasoline fumes and air pollution and, you know, I think it's really going to take people waking up to realize, hey, this is already affecting me and I need to do something about it because my interest is at stake, my children's future is at stake, my grandchildren's future is at stake. Um, and, you know, even if you're not planning on having kids, which some of us uh, more responsible folks are doing, I, I'd like to include myself, but I don't know if that's necessarily if I'm quite that selfless. Um, but, you know, really, <clears throat> oh, man, sorry. Totally lost my train of thought. That's okay. We'll forgive you. We'll see if you can catch <laughs> it. Go ahead, Kyle. No, I, I think exactly, you know, what Carly is saying, that in a lot of ways people are paying for it already, even if they don't realize it. Breathing dirty air, drinking bad water, having to deal with, you know, stronger hurricanes, more heat waves, whether it's your beach house, your house in the city, you know, wherever you live, whatever, how much, much money you have, you know, these changes that are happening around us to the sort of basic resources that we all need to survive, they hurt us. Even if, even if we're rich enough to deal with them, they still hurt us. They still cost us money, and there's still something to be gained for all of us by stopping them, by, by saving money and investing in, in energy efficiency, I mean, that's something that nobody minds not, you know, paying less for their electricity or their water. That's, that's a good thing for all of us. And, and so many of us, you know, in our generation, like 
everybody, you know, a lot of folks do have kids and a lot of folks are going to, and, and their kids are, and us are going to have to live through these things. And we're going to suffer much worse even in the future than we already are today. It's only, you know, the trajectory right now is, is not good. It's going down. And if people are okay, I don't think that people are comfortable with the idea that their children are going to have, have this kind of lower quality of life than they enjoy. That matters to a lot of people. And, and the sooner that folks sort of realize that their kids are going to suffer for it and the future generations are going to suffer for it, you know, the sooner that we can start to ramp up these clean energy solutions. You know, um, that's actually, it's, it's interesting. Um, you know, we were talking about, I was talking a little bit, I was actually curious what, you know, you guys' opinions are on the, the geothermal tidal and uh, wave power solutions since they don't really get talked about. I mean, geothermal in particular supposedly has way more capacity than any of the others. Sustain Us is very excited about a wide range of renewable energy and clean energy solutions. So we definitely support, you know, strong investments in things like geothermal, tidal, ocean power. I mean, as long as, you know, we're taking the right measures to fully evaluate all of those technologies, and that includes wind and solar, um, you know, to make sure that they really are not negatively impacting local communities, societies, you know, nature. But as long as we're taking that care to make sure that those things are being looked at while we're doing them, totally, totally in favor of a very wide suite of technologies, because there's no silver bullet here if you want to think about it that way. But what there are is a big set of technologies that we can deploy today in much bigger numbers than we already are to release clean energy, low carbon solutions much, much faster than we already are slowly creeping toward. That's definitely the case. Did you need to say something on that, Carly? Um, yeah, well, you know, I, uh, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm sorry, my brain is not working super well today, I have not eaten hardly anything. Can you repeat the question, because I did have something to say. Yes, it was about uh, awareness of geothermal wave and tidal power. Yes, I mean, definitely National Wildlife Federation and myself, I mean, um, it is going to be a, a range of different options, and I think Kyle was right. I guess. What I wanted to add to that, but um, it's kind of building on what he said, is that you know, every energy technology is going to have certain risks or costs associated with it. But you know, um, when you really look at it and, and weigh all the costs and, and all the outcomes, um, you see that clean energy, once it's set up and you know, you're getting this free source of perfectly clean energy, um, it's abundant. The costs are so insignificant compared to the cost of things like fossil fuels and coal. Um, you know, I think we definitely need to continue to develop things like um, tide and geothermal. And, you know, I mean, geothermal, it has more success in certain parts of the world. So, you know, I, I think it's really important to also look at what resources are abundant to you in your area and, and really kind of look to localize our, our energy sources as well. Localization is actually really important, and that's one of the reasons I'm actually looking at doing radio shows with companies that do things like that is that, you know, it's one of the reasons I was thinking actually is like uh, the work that you guys are doing is great because a lot of people are not even aware. Like just basic common laymen have like no idea. I mean, I, I've said this all the time on my, my show, but I'm going to repeat it for this conversation, but I got into a conversation with a guy once, and he was like, Geothermal, that's Star Trek. That's not real, you know. 
I had to point out to him, I was like, you know that 70% of Iceland's electricity is generated entirely by geothermal? He had no idea. You know, um, people don't realize that there are private companies that will put solar panels on your house right now. You know, that there are companies that will give you a, a, a heating and cooling geothermal system that is far more efficient than anything that you're going to get as far as, like, just sticking a furnace in your house or an air conditioner. You know, those systems exist now. Uh, one of the, my, my favorite episodes of uh, Big Ideas for a Small Planet, there was a gentleman by the name of Carlton Brown, and he does uh, energy-efficient um, and basically green building apartments in Harlem, uh, New York. And they use geothermal systems for all the heating and cooling for the entire apartment building, and it's far cheaper after you get it built. But the knowledge of this, you know, this technology is just not out there, and people don't. It's like I found out, for example, it would only cost me about $18,000 to get completely off the grid with a solar system. Um, it's not within my current capacity, you know, money-wise, but I didn't think it was even something I would ever even feasibly be able to do. I was not aware of that until I talked to people involved in these companies, you know, is that in many cases you'd be surprised just how uneducated the average person is on these things. And I think that, honestly, I don't believe that's an accident. I mean, I don't get everything into conspiracy theories, but when you watched, you know, Who Killed the Electric Car, I think that Texaco's action of, you know, buying out the battery patents on batteries that would make electric cars more viable was obviously a, a you know, a calculated decision. They knew what they were doing. I don't think that's an accident at all. You know, um, and there are things that are similar to that. You know, you might get negative ad campaigns where they may come up with some kind of propaganda to convince you that, you know, the other systems might have dangers that, don't, that aren't even necessarily true. I mean, after you really unearth how much the crap there is in the media, it's hard to trust what you see on the news. I mean, um, have you guys in your experience as activists ever seen anything in the news that you just kind of shook your head about and went, I can't believe they're even saying that out loud. That's just so wrong or so misleading. Sure. I mean, you know, as policy people, we see, you know, a lot of bad data all the time. Um, you know, people who do have, like, bad perceptions of what solar or wind could do for us or who don't understand that, you know, this not only can you have these systems to give you free energy, but in many cases, in many states, you can actually make money off of having renewable energy installed in your house locally. I mean, you, can, you have a solar system that actually pays you, and that's incredible. Um, so, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely out there. There's a lot of misunderstanding. In a lot of cases, people just don't have access to the information. I mean, a lot of people don't really see on a regular basis what their, how much energy their house or their appliances cost them. And just when, we, when people do have that information, time and time again it's been shown that they immediately start cutting down their use because they figure out that like, saving money is really not that hard to do and cutting your energy use is really not that hard to do and only, not only do you not even notice the difference but you actually benefit from it because <laughs> that's you know, less of a utility bill you have to deal with at the end of the month. So some of it is just barricades to people knowing what, you know, how much they're paying for things both in the sort of straight up costs like utility bills and then it's like harder to realize, but just as real costs, like climate change impacts or impacts to your air quality or, you know, the quality of your water from something like mountaintop removal mining. I mean, if, if you're living in Appalachia, I mean, these are, you know, expensive things. And the more people are able to really get that information in their hands and then make choices both as consumers and as voters, which, of course, is what Power Vote is all about, investing in clean energy candidates, um, then change starts to happen. 
Go ahead. Yeah, and I mean, it, it's really amazing how, I want to say, I mean, it's almost how money can buy public opinion and, and government opinion and um, how much money has been spent just convincing the public and, and our elected officials that, you know, things like offshore drilling are really safe. Oh, there's nothing that could go wrong, you know, definitely not here in the United States, you know, definitely not off the coast of Australia, um, you know, and, and it's, it's amazing how far that goes and how, you know, it's so hard these days to really kind of sort through the information of, you know, what's true and what's from a reliable source and what's just completely made up to, you know, help someone else make a profit. Um, and so, I mean, that's something I've actually been really emphasizing a lot to some of my friends is just, you know, okay, so there's a lot of information out there and some of it's interesting to think about, but you really have to, you know, look at these sources. And, you know, unfortunately, most of the mass media is so entrenched in um, government, which tends to be entrenched in, in a lot of... Um, you know, dirty money or dirty energy money coming in. So, you know, that definitely influences um, not only our elected officials but the public in general. I mean, you can look at uh, just public opinion polls of, you know, before the BP oil disaster, you know, more than half of the United States supported more offshore drilling, you know, and obviously for energy independence, right? But, um, you know, now that, now that the costs of that are more visible, um, you know, that's definitely dropped below 50% and it's continuing to go down, but it's still, you know, there's still plenty of people out there who, um, you know, want to believe that it's safe and, you know, we keep talking about, well, we'll find a way to make it safe, but like Kyle said earlier, it's prevention is the only way to make it safe. I mean, it's kind of like I feel like I'm in a sex ed class saying abstinence is the only way, but, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, it really is. Like, that's the only way you can really know that something like this isn't going to happen again. Absolutely. And, I, you know, it, it's interesting, actually, that it occurred to me that um, when the gas prices went up, I still, for the longest time, have believed that that was kind of an experiment on their part to see how far they could push it. Um, you know, because at the same time they're telling us they're hurting so bad, they're reporting all these record profits to their shareholders. And it occurred to me that when, you know, a free market principle the libertarians talk about is that, um, if, you know, if, if a commodity becomes so inefficient, then that's when the consumer starts to look at other alternatives. And, you know, I remember, for example, you know, gas prices went up, so, you know, more awareness of the fact that you can run vehicles on vegetable oil became apparent. People started talking about other things. And then the industry uh, kind of finds things to dangle in front of you, like the hydrogen question, um, you know, hydrogen just seems to be this thing that's always 10 years in the future. Um, I have a friend of mine, uh, Marcin Jagodowski from Open Source Ecology, which is a movement basically that just designs self-sustaining systems and then gives the designs away open source. He got into physics for his PhD because he wanted to develop fusion to, you know, to help fix the world. And then what he found out was fusion was another one of those, I guess the term would be, you know, red herring. It's this thing that just never is ever going to be realized. It's just forever off in the distance. And he recognized that in the people that he was working with even, it was almost as though there was a motivation to continue, you know, getting grants to research this thing that we're not going to be doing anytime soon, as opposed to cultivating what we could be doing now. And, you know, when you talk about the, the power of the media, 
you know, how easy it is to sway opinion with it. It's, it's absolutely true. I mean, you see that in the selection of our politicians. I did another show called the Sub on the subject of sheeple where I played uh, various recordings of people talking about who they were going to vote for and how little they really knew about those candidates. You know, and, and generally how superficial, you know, their understanding or knowledge or even reasoning, like, you know, I don't want to offend anybody, but like uh, one of the videos was about people who supported Sarah Palin. And, you know, they would ask, well, what is your favorite of Sarah Palin's policies? And the people wouldn't even be able to answer. You know, these are people who are very enthusiastic or waiting out, you know, in a long line to get her to sign their, you know, sign the book. I've seen that. that. <laughs> yeah, and, and, you know, like, well, you know, you know, like, what do you feel about her domestic policy? Uh, uh, you know, this is a person that they're going to vote for for president. And, you know, it's the, the same kind of superficial nonsense went on, obviously, with, you know, on both sides of the aisle. I remember, you know, there was another video that was entitled, you can get it on YouTube, it's called Why Did Ron Paul Not Win the Florida Primary? And even if you're not into Ron Paul, the answers that were given for the reasons that people voted for people in many cases were just so ridiculous. You know, I voted for Obama because he's hot. I voted for Obama because he's black. I didn't vote for Hillary because she's this or she's that. You know, these people have no idea what it is that's going on. And it's it almost as if the system wants it that way. You know, that's that's one of the reasons I don't think that parties, you know, you know, candidates that talk about these kinds of alternative energies that are a big threat to big oil you know, ever really get the kind of attention that they need. And that's why it's actually really important that you guys are doing that activism towards, you know, supporting green candidates, even if they're mainstream candidates. Anybody who's going to talk about that sort of stuff, you know, like uh, one of my friends, Senator Mike Gravel, uh, he was really big on, well, if you guys are going to do this carbon tax thing, I don't want it just to go on forever. He was like, we're going to have to turn that around and invest that money immediately into research, into green and energy, so that we can just get out of carbon altogether. And some of the politicians agreed with that, but others just kind of looked at him like he was crazy. And he's like, no, what's crazy is you guys are going to just, you know, borrow, you know, each other's pollution rather than just getting out of pollution altogether. You know, it's, and of course, you know, they, they marginalized him as fast as they could because, you know, people who make sense are not allowed to talk on TV. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah, Gravel's completely got... Uh, marginalized, you're right. Um, you know, I actually, <laughs> I don't know if I should say this, but I voted for him in the primaries, and, um, you know, when I when I told the guy outside the polls, I was like, I voted Mike Gravel, he said, who? <laughs> I was like, really? You don't, you don't even know. And most people, when I mention his name, they have no idea who he is. It's, it's just sad, you know. I mean, he was the only one, in my opinion, who was telling the truth. <laughs> you know, during those debates. And I could say the same for Ron Paul in most cases. Yeah, Dennis Kucinich did a good share of that, too. Um, True. And it, it actually makes me happy that you said you voted for Mike Gravel because I've had him on this show several times. I was a delegate for him at uh, the Libertarian Convention. I'm actually the guy who convinced him to change parties because I wanted him to get more exposure for his ideas, and the Democrats had basically, you know, done everything they could to get rid of him. But um, in any case, um, you know, Kyle, do you want to comment a little bit since we've gone a little bit into the green candidates? Well, I just think, that, yeah, this is just what excites me so much about the work that we're, you know, we're doing as Energy Action Coalition, you know, with the Power Vote campaign. I mean, when we ran Power Vote in 2008, you know, the, the response was just tremendous. I mean, almost 350,000 young people across the country specifically signed our pledge 
that they would only vote for clean energy candidates. You know, not Democrats, not Republicans, not anybody, just clean energy candidates. And more importantly, if you weren't a, a candidate who supported strong clean energy and climate policies, we weren't going to vote for you. Sorry. And more than 24 million young people turned out in that election, and majority of them were voting for the candidates who were supporting clean energy policies. You know, we had a huge impact on what they, on who actually got elected, and you saw that in a big shift in from you know one Congress to the next in terms of the level of support for clean energy. You've seen dramatic changes in what some agencies in the federal government, like the Department of Energy, are doing, investing in. You know, on a daily basis, tens of millions of dollars. Every other day, there's an announcement about, you know, energy-saving home, you know, home investments for low-income residents in the U.S. or renewed investments in renewable energy or solar or wind technologies. You know, this is what happens when young people express their voices, and we get it. We get that our future is at stake, and we get that these clean energy solutions are available right now, and people need to watch because the election is coming up again, and we're going to do that again. You know, power vote will be back. Young people will be pledging and supporting and only voting for candidates that support clean energy policies. And that's going to shift elections, and that's going to be really bad for candidates who don't support those things. So, that's, you know, you know, I absolutely it's time to turn. I absolutely agree. And, you know, although I, I am a bit um, – what would I say is I am a bit uh, burned out on the possibility that I'll be able to accomplish a lot politically, but I did learn a lot when I ran for Congress that – you still, however, can affect the public opinion that way. Like, even if you're running a candidate, like even in the Green Party, for example, I mean, I learned about that when I was a third-party politician, is that, you know, you may not get elected, but you kind of force the other candidates to look at your issues. And even if they're just trying to pay lip service to them, it gets knowledge of those issues out there. Like, Ron Paul never got elected and was never going to be, but because of him, he was able to bring to light a lot of issues like the Federal Reserve and that used to be something that, you know, people had no idea about, and now it's getting talked about on CNN all the time. You know, that's an example of something that can be accomplished that way, and I think it's, it's, it's important that the kind of work that you're doing is getting done and that if people do recognize that you can get, you know, you can get some results that way. Um, you know, and even if, it's, even if you don't feel that it's a permanent solution, you know, the, the political arena is still where people go to look for solutions, and that's where they, you know, they go to look for people to, you know, to give them answers. And, you know, if, if nobody else is showing up to give them answers other than, you know, neoconservatives and the other kinds of evil politicians, well, that's what people are going to hear. If you throw your hands up and you give up, it's never going to get any better. Nobody to blame but yourself at that point. Now, um, actually, I, I wanted to talk about, you know, we're getting near to the end of the show, and it's been great having you both on. Um, and uh, before, we, before I forget, uh, I didn't actually ask you, Carly, if somebody wants to get involved in what you're doing um, with the National Wildlife Federation, what would be the best way to do that? Yeah, well, um, I guess generally they could visit our website. Um, for National Wildlife Federation, that's www.nwf.org. Or they could go directly to the Campus Ecology page, which is um, www.campusecology.org. Um, and, of course, if they're interested in getting involved directly with the Energy Action Coalition, that's energyactioncoalition.org. So pretty simple, um, straightforward. And those are just initial ways that people can kind of um, look up what we're doing and, and do their own research. But, um, you know, I also encourage people to contact me directly, and, and you can email me at queenc at nwf.org. That's all one word, no spaces or anything. Um, but I actually wanted to add just a comment on, on what y'all were talking about just a minute ago, and um, I, I really think it's important to emphasize that 
the end goal of, of campaigns like Power Vote are not necessarily to, you know, villainize one side and and glorify the other, saying, oh, well, their environmental policy is better than theirs, and blah, blah, blah. It's really about um, overcoming these classifications and, and divisions of, you know, Democrat versus Republican versus independent and making clean energy everyone's issue. Uh, this is something that should not be any difference across party lines, and it's very obvious right now that, unfortunately, it is. Um, but, you know, I don't really think any side is, is doing what they need to do to really get us where we need to go. And so, um, you know, I, I think really bringing this to the, to the highest level of, of the issues, you know, that are being talked about and being decided on, I think that's kind of where we're going here. I really like that point, actually. That's very, very telling. Because we need to get to a point where green energy is not an issue to be debated on yes or no. You know, it needs to be, well, um, this is assumed that this is what needs to be done, period. You know, right, left, conservative, liberal, whatever you want to call yourself. Um, you live on the planet. It's probably a good idea to take care of it. Needs yeah. to be the attitude. Um, and, I, and I see that there are a lot of issues that get abused by politicians like that, like the, the abortion issue. I, I'm not going to get into what side of it I'm on, but, but they, you know, you ever notice that politicians argue about that, but nothing ever changes? You know, it's the same thing. You know, nothing significant ever happens, but they do use it as something to argue about, you know, to get attention. You know, it's, it's like the issues become just a talking point to get people's attention. And even though none of these politicians, I think, really intend to change anything in that regard because it would require too much work on their part, but it still ends up becoming a hot button issue that people ride so that they can get, you know, get people looking at them. Now, uh, the next thing I want to ask about, you know, because I know, um, I, Carly, did, I think, I, I think I asked you this. Did you watch Zeitgeist Addendum? Um, I definitely seen Zeitgeist the movie, and I think I've seen the addendum. It's been a while. Okay. Yeah. So then you've at least heard about the Venus Project, and I know Kyle, Absolutely. you said that you've heard about it. Um, uh, what did you guys think about the concept of just eventually getting to a point where we can evolve mankind to just make sustainable energies and sustainable systems the way that everything is done, period? Um, I mean, do, do you want to go ahead and elaborate on that, Carly, first, and then I'll go with Kyle. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think it's a great concept, and definitely uh, I think there's a lot of value in, in making that kind of the end goal. Um, well, I don't even want to say end, but... Uh, you know, I mean, especially the concepts that I that I looked at on the website, like um, eliminating the monetary system. I mean, to me, that just makes sense. I've never <laughs> I've never understood this, this kind of concept of of these dollars they have value. Um, you know, get, being able to buy us things like food, and you know. <laughs> Anyway, um, real quickly, um, just to tell the live listeners, the live portion of the show is going to end here in just a moment. The rest will be on archive. I just want to give them a chance to answer these questions. So if you're listening, please visit vradio.org, v-radio.org, and consider a donation. And thank you for tuning in to vradio. Now, please continue, Carly. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, you know, I guess overall, it seems like especially the focus on clean energy and equality, um, and, you know, I even really like the idea of working less. <laughs> That's pretty nice. That's right. a good one. Um, because we are. Here in the United States, we're just complete workaholics. And it's ridiculous because we have such a high standard of living. We, you know, should not commit ourselves to this kind of slavery because of, 
you know, putting ourselves into debt or whatever. So um, I did have some concerns, I guess, around um, just kind of a, a lack of clarity about, you know, how does this impact wildlife and, and the natural world. Um, and also, you know, at some point, there are just too many people for this earth to really accommodate. And at some point, we run out of resources. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, I'd be interested to hear uh, more about, you know, what are those limits to growth that keep us from kind of overburdening the earth and, and running all of the biodiversity um, out of it, you know, what it calls home now. Oh, absolutely. And um, I'll answer you, uh, like, that particular point, and then I'll get to Kyle. Um, but first of all, um, ecological issues are fundamental to Jacques Fresco's design. In fact, it, it doesn't, it's not an option. It's not a, a question of um, whether or not we're going to try to do our best. It's more of a matter of we shouldn't be designing technologies that are not ecologically friendly in the first place. If, if you can't make it ecologically friendly, then it shouldn't ever be built, period. Um, that's how he's trying to set his goals. And, you know, we know that that's, that's kind of a lofty goal, but we're finding more and more that it's not as hard as people really think. Um, and uh, there's a lot of, as far as like the carrying capacity for the planet, we believe that through the proper cultivation of the Earth's resources, scientifically applied, we'll be able to take care of a lot more people, but in the end, yes, we will have to have a serious awareness of how much the, you know, how much the planet can, can, uh, you know, can possibly accommodate. Um, that's going to have to be an issue. Um, a lot of problems with overpopulation come from the fact that certain cultures have way more children than they probably should because they generally come from a society where you're kind of betting that only a few of them are going to survive into adulthood. Um, you know, and that's, then we fix those problems because we're not thinking straight. And then you have a culture that just way overpopulates itself. I think India did that actually, you know, because how many children you had, you know, you had a lot of them because the infant mortality rate was so high, you kind of expected a lot of them were going to pass away. And then we go and fix their infant mortality rate problem without thinking about the consequences of that action. And then we have an overpopulated country and massive poverty. These are the kinds of um, solutions that need to go into everything from the very beginning when you're designing them. Um, and we, we're fairly confident that uh, just education, you know, in a society, for example, also that, I mean, because this is more than just what you do with the physical infrastructure. It's, more, it's also what you do with the, the way the society thinks, how it's, you know, the what its values are and how it's, you know, how it's constructed, so to speak, in that aspect, people will then think to themselves, it's irresponsible of me to have more children than the planet can take care of. You know, it's, <laughs> I know that sounds lofty, but, you know, I mean, we're already thinking that way. A lot of people actually are deciding not to have children on their own, even. Um, and, but, you know, we can, we, I hope that that at least addresses the initial concerns that you had. I mean, does that answer your question? Yeah, and, you know, I'd just like to um, add that I really think uh, a lot of, at least the issue of the population really comes back to education. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's been uh, scientifically demonstrated or <laughs> in real life demonstrated that, um, you know, education rates for women directly correlate with, um, you know, birth rates and, and uh, increase in population. So. It's kind of interesting because I think a lot of people don't make that connection, but, um, you know, I just wanted to mention that. Sure, sure. Now, um, Kyle, what did you want to say about the Venus Project? So I think there are some pretty clear overlaps 
between you know what Energy Action Coalition and Sustain Us are doing and, and what you know the Venus Project is trying to do. So where I see that overlap is definitely that you know that we want to move beyond things like poverty and politics and more clearly. Um, and we definitely are all in agreement about wanting a switch, a rapid switch to you know, 100% clean energy generation. So I think those things were all very, very much on the same page. Um, you know, I think, so I read the, you know, the Designing the Future ebook, mm -hmm. and, you know, I think it's an interesting vision for what the future could be. Um, I think there's probably, I think there needs to be a lot more detail from the project if it wants to really explain and outline for people, you know, why this particular vision of the future could work. I mean, I spent, a, this seems to be a lot of time spent in the book, at least, on, you know, whether the the airports of the future will have automated sprinkler and fire control systems at the end of the runways, and not a whole lot of detail on how we would actually transition to an economy or a structure based that's not based on money. Because a lot of people would read that and go, well, that sounds like you're talking about some kind of, like, centrally planned or sort of socialist economy, which obviously has had, at least in the way that it's been done in the world so far, a lot of problems. So I just feel like there's needs to be a lot more discussion and, and really laying out for people what the Venus Project thinks needs to be the steps from where we are today to where they think we can get to in the future, especially in this area of sort of radically change, transforming the economy. So, you know, those aren't really things that either Sustainus or the Energy Action Coalition has a vision for, does. We're really focused on the clean energy solutions where I think we have some very clear agreement with, with Venus Project on, you know, we need to go clean, we need to go clean energy, we need to go right now. Absolutely. And, you know, honestly, I mean, uh, your criticisms are noted and, you know, that it, it, one of the problems that we have when we're trying to explain all of that is that, you know, it, for example, when you when you talk to Jacques Fresco about it, you know, you end up going on all these tangents just because the problem is so complex when you're talking about redesigning a culture and redesigning a, a value system that people have that you end up like, you know, it's like, for example, the monetary system, like we talked about eliminating that as a possibility. It's rooted in so many things that we do now, and it's, it has so many defense mechanisms into itself to make sure that people think that they always need it. Um, and, I, and we do get compared to socialists sometimes, and we do get compared to uh, communists sometimes, and we have some things in common with them, but we also, we look and we see the way that they were, uh, they, like you said, you know, as you pointed out, you know, the way that they were implemented in the past, you know, definitely casts a whole shadow on it. You can't even say the word share. <laughs> share resources? What? Oh, my God. Oh, you're a communist. You're evil. You know, just because you said the word share the resources, it's unfortunate that the negative uh, impacts of certain things will cast a shadow on the entire idea, you know, um, that may not necessarily be there. I mean, I get the idea of share the resources. I certainly don't get the idea of trains to Siberia, KGB, prisons. You know, <laughs> we don't approve of any of that. Um, and there's so much to the system that it, it takes a long time to explain, and that's why, I mean, the PDF is a good start. I usually tell people to watch some of the films I have linked on my radio show, my radio show's uh, website. Uh, Welcome to the Future is a really good one, uh, which you can watch for free on YouTube. Um, otherwise, reading Jacques' book, The Best the Money Can't Buy, which he actually sells, obviously, but um, uh, that book gets into a lot more detail about how these kinds of transitions will happen. But 
one of the reasons why it's difficult to answer that question is that when you're trying to decide how best to go about that, you have to know a lot about the circumstances in question. For example, when communism was implemented, the Bolsheviks didn't really have an ideal set of circumstances to set up a communist society. Um, the resources in Russia were really, you know, it was really hard to get to them. It was not a very hospitable climate. It's not an easy place to live. You know, the, some of the manufacturing was there, but, you know, basically they didn't really have everything even that Marx would have liked them to have in order to implement communism. That's why you have to, like, when you're answering the question, how do we make these transitions, I think that uh, a lot of that actually has to come first with education. You educate people about the fact that the technologies exist, that they could be taking care of themselves. And secondly, um, you know, once you've gotten that, you know, across, the next phase is to move into, you know, experimental, you know, communities, maybe a city at some point where you demonstrate these technologies, where you experiment with it, where you study the sociology that will evolve out of such a post-scarcity situation. Um, and you kind of go from there. I mean, on a much simpler scale, like when I'm explaining it to libertarians, because you know, they're really concerned about anything that takes money away. They, you know, they really knee-jerk really fast to anything that sounds like it's from the left. Um, I tell them, well, I, look at it this way. Um, rather than paying a power company that's probably polluting your land anyway, why don't you just get off the grid? Okay, well, now that you've done that, <laughs> but let's, let's, now you're not dependent on them for that. Well, why don't you also uh, get into producing your own food in an ecologically sound fashion? You know, isn't this more freedom? Because now you're not dependent on the department store, you're not dependent on the grocery store, and you're not dependent on the power companies. You know, learn how to, you know, investigate, you know, invest in these technologies to take care of yourself and become self-sufficient and self-sustaining yourself. Now, is there anything wrong with any of that? And generally, even the most hardcore, you know, uh, free market capitalist types will be like, well, no, that, that's, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm like, okay, now imagine that a group of people willingly you know, decide to go along with that and do it for themselves. Is there anything wrong with that? Well, no, absolutely not, as long as there's no coercion. Okay, fine. Well, what if a group of people get together and now they're going to decide to build a city? Is there anything wrong with that? Well, no, of course not. Okay, well, now that a city is built, other city people are looking at the way people live at these cities, and we see this already in our own culture. Unfortunately, people are looking at the materialistic United States as the example. I have a friend who lives in China, and I was going to do a show about China, and one of the things he told me was that, you know, now everybody in China is looking at the materialism of the United States as their example. We know that it doesn't take a lot to change these paradigms because it didn't take a lot to get us in the situation we're in. I don't know if you ever watched the documentary series, The Century of Self, um, but in The Century of Self, they talk a great deal about how it really wasn't that many people who managed to influence us into thinking that our consumerism is our freedom. Um, are you familiar with that documentary? Uh, no, I'm not. No. Yeah, you guys should definitely check it out. I, it gives me a lot of hope, though, because, you know, especially as activists, if it didn't take a lot of people to get us into the situation that we're in, it really won't take that many people to get us out of it. Um, you can watch The Century of Self for free on Google Video on the Internet. Um, after I was finished watching it, I couldn't look at the politics, uh, activism, uh, the media. I couldn't look at any of it the same way. Uh, because you find out, I mean, a lot of it was sociologically engineered from the beginning. Uh, they worked a lot with Edward Bernays, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew. Um, and with him, they explored how best to manipulate society into a means by which 
would allow the consumer, you know, uh, society to be the norm. Um, they even investigated how best to convince people that it was their credit cards that made them free. It was their money that made them free. And now, you know, it's it's scary actually, and it's it's all accredited. This isn't some weird conspiracy video. This is a it's a BBC documentary, um, and it's five parts. And uh, you can actually find it at vradio.org, v-radio.org, under the must-see TV tab. But otherwise, you can Google the Century of Self. And as activists, I think it would be really important that you guys view that information because after you really understand how they screwed everything up, you can really start to hopefully, anyway, look into ways that's a better heal society to understand the strategies of the people involved and what they did and then hopefully we can change these paradigms. Maybe we can start, you know, people thinking, you know, alternative energy is your freedom, you know, because now you don't need anybody else for your energy. You know, that's 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 an example of the kind of strategy you have to employ if you're gonna if you're gonna make these kinds of transitions. Does does that understand? Or does that answer your question? Sure. Thanks. <laughs> well, excellent. Um, it was great having you guys on. Um, you know, any, any parting words before we close the show? Um, I'd, I'd just like to say thank you for inviting us on. And, you know, I thought it was a really interesting and, and meaningful conversation. Um, I think that uh, that your movement and, and the things that you're, the ideas that you're spreading here are, are really, really interesting. And I'm glad that it's happening. So thank you. Excellent. I, I feel the same about your system, about what you're doing, what you're doing as well. Um, anything from you, Kyle? You just thanks so much for having us. I mean, we really appreciate it. And, and obviously, if, if you or your listeners know young people or are young people, um, we'd love to have you get involved in organizations like the National Wildlife Federation, Sustain Us, um, Campus Ecology Program, and of course, the Energy Action Coalition. And we hope to see you at our Power Vote campaign this fall. And Power Shift in the Spring. Excellent. Right. Excellent. Well, that's one of the reasons I did this show is that I know that there are a lot of members of the Zeitgeist Movement who would like to get involved in the kinds of things that you're doing. And we by no means feel that our membership should be doing anything secular. You know, they, these, you know in other words, it's, if they want to get involved in these sorts of things, then that's great. And it helps us cross-promote what we're doing. And I think that's one of the greatest aspects of the Energy Action Coalition is that rather than thinking, well, I'm sorry, I can't help you with your uh, you know, with your national wildlife program because I'm involved in this alternative energy thing, or I'm sorry that I can't help you saving the whales because I'm involved with, you know, it doesn't need to be like that. And in fact, solving any one of those problems is not going to fix anything. We need to fix everything. And in many cases, these problems are very much interlaced and they're related. And I like that you guys are getting together a coalition of people who actually give a damn. That's what I would call it. This is the coalition of people who actually give a damn. So... Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. Well, thank you very much, both of you, for being on. Um, and uh, as I said, I'll, you know, I'll be able to give you guys a link so that you know you can put them on your blog, uh, so that your you know your own fans can listen to this radio broadcast, and you know hopefully be able to cross promote even further. I do a lot of radio shows about subjects like this, so um, you know even if you're not involved with the Zeitgeist Movement, I have a lot of uh, content that they'll probably enjoy. Thanks again for coming on. Great. Thank you so much. Take care. All right. I'm going to basically at this point, uh, that's it for this particular episode of V Radio. I will leave you guys with some words from Jacques Fresco and Roxanne Meadows. This is Roxanne Meadows. And this is Jacques Fresco. And you're listening to V Radio.